0: Well, hello, welcome everyone to the Center for South Asia at Stanford University podcast. I'm Lalita Duperon, I'm the Associate Director, and with me today is um, Dr. Asfandiar Mir. He is currently a, a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for International Security and Cooperation in the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. Asfandiar, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Laerta.
0: It's really uh, great. And I think we'll just, uh, rather than me introducing you, there is so much to say about your work. So I'm just gonna hand it to you. Tell us more about what you're working on.
1: Sure, so I'm a scholar of uh, international relations uh, with a focus on South Asia. Uh, broadly, my, my research tries to understand uh, the security dynamics uh, of South Asia. Uh, specifically between uh, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, as well as the state of order and violence in each of these countries. Um, I've also uh, spent some time uh, working on and trying to understand US foreign policy towards South Asia. Again, uh, focus on India, Pakistan, Afghanistan. Um, since my, my PhD work, uh, I've, been, um, I've been publishing research on political violence and counterterrorism issues. Uh, as they pertain to U.S. counterterrorism policy. And as part of that, uh, I've spent some time studying uh, al-Qaeda, the organization which attacked the United States um, on 9-11. In addition, more recently, uh, I've started developing um, uh, a research track related to information warfare and disinformation dynamics, um, which uh, which which are prevalent in South Asia.
0: I'm so glad we're speaking today because I feel that um, there are so many questions around all the topics you work on and um, about Afghanistan, Pakistan, Al-Qaeda, 9-11, actually back in the news because of this idea that we're fighting a war against um, the new coronavirus. Uh, So that's kind of made a comeback in terms of the media. And I wanted to ask you about media representation. it feels the United States media is not always doing a great job with how they portray South Asia, and I imagine you have a few things to say about that, and I would love to hear it.
1: So, so that's a tough one to answer. Um, I think um, the American media has not been fair to South Asia in many ways, uh, certainly. It doesn't recognize the region for what it is. Uh, South Asia is one of the most dynamic, populous, and important regions of the world. And the future of human progress and development is, is in many ways tied to what will happen in South Asia over the next uh, some decades. And South Asia also contributes to the core strengths uh, of the, the United States as a country. For one, we live in Silicon Valley, um, and I have no problem in saying that there's no Silicon Valley without India or Indians. Indeed. Um, and, and Pakistanis uh, form a disproportionately large number of medical professionals in this country. Uh, so all of that needs to needs more recognition, more representation. At the same time, uh, the media has been contending with some really strong headwinds emerging from the region. Uh, so, so let me disaggregate that a little bit. Uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan have been in the crosshairs of the U.S. counterterrorism war uh, since nine eleven, uh, and these two countries have ended up featuring on the front pages of, of the New York Times, Washington Post repeatedly for all the wrong reasons, international terrorism plots, dead American soldiers, drone strikes, and so on and so forth. And the result is that all these years later is the two countries are at the center of coverage, which perpetuates some of the worst tropes and stereotypes about those places. For example, the show Homeland. Now think about India. I think the attitude towards India has been a little bit more mixed. Uh, I'd say due to the pressures of this post-9/11 environment, India certainly gained benefited from the goodwill uh, of the media. It was it was seen as a South Asian country which wasn't, say, like Pakistan. In the diaspora and many in India really appreciated that and, and ended up internalizing that that expectation. But now, with Prime Minister Modi's government reversing India's uh, important democratic gains, uh, and moving ahead with some of its, um, uh, its, its its policies against Muslims, I think there's considerable re- resentment in India in general, and as well as in the diaspora on how the Indian government uh, and India as a country is being portrayed. I mean, this is just a long way of saying that the media needs to really check itself, do much better, but South Asia is also a very complicated region to cover and to portray in the US media. So, 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 so the US media has some of my sympathies as well.
0: Thank you, that's a, a very compassionate ending to what I understand was a very complicated question to, uh, to kind of start you off with. Uh, what would you say, I mean, you already touched upon some of the, the major issues to come out of the, the region, but in terms of international relations, relations uh, what are some of the major life issues right now?
1: Sure. So, so I think there are four major buckets of issues, uh, which certainly have um, you know, many sub issues within them. But let me put these four on the table. The first one is um, is the India-Pakistan relationship. Uh, India-Pakistan tensions uh, are high once again. Uh, they were they've been high in the last few years, but since August 2019, uh, in fact, since February 2019, uh, after a terror attack in in the uh, in in Jammu and Kashmir, the tensions are are back up and haven't abated since, and have only escalated uh, over the last year. The second major issue is the US war uh, in Afghanistan, uh, and it is salient for the fact that the US government is now trying to terminate that war effort. Mm -hmm. Related to that, but also a distinct issue in of itself, is transnational terrorism. So groups like Al-Qaeda, ISIS uh, are still very active. Uh, in the three countries, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India, to a varying degree, however. Um, And uh, the aspirations uh, of these actors uh, to cause instability both within the region and beyond uh, is a major issue to watch. The final issue, which is more medium to long-term, but is really shaping the the state of play in the region is the rise of China. Uh, And China has uh, an important relationship with Pakistan it has an important adversarial relationship with India. Um, and of course, the United States has an interest in containing China. We hear a lot about, lot of talk about that uh, in Washington, D.C., increasingly. Uh, and that's going to have an impact on, on dynamics of order and violence in South Asia, um, which, which makes this issue very salient.
0: So China, um, obviously, a kind of a major player in world news right now. Um, and um, it, uh, it, would, uh, uh, it behooves us to, to move the conversation slightly towards uh, COVID. Uh, for those of you who are joining uh, us late, I'm Lalita Duperron, I'm in the Center for South Asia at Stanford University, and I'm talking to uh, Svani Amir, who's in uh, the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford as a postdoctoral fellow, and we're talking about um, international relations, South Asia. And um, I would like to ask um, right now what the impact is of COVID-19 on the things that we have been discussing up till now.
1: So this, the situation is fluid. Um, uh, I think we still don't quite understand the impact uh, um, that the pandemic has had on South Asia or on each of these South Asian countries. Uh, But to the extent we know what has happened, it appears that uh, COVID's impact on the international relations of South Asia is going to be fairly mixed. There's going to be no clear-cut improvement in direction of peace. It also doesn't seem uh, like COVID is going to push the region towards uh, a lot more conflict. So so let's take India and Pakistan uh, to begin with. I suspect that COVID uh, will dampen conflict propensity between the two countries in the very short run, say until June. Um, uh, but there may be a reversion to hostilities between the two countries, especially along the, the border region line of control, once the situation, the, the pandemic situation begins to normalize and these two countries begin to open up, uh, and the political leaders uh, of these countries are thinking about issues beyond the pandemic. Then moving over to Afghanistan, uh, I think COVID-19 um, uh, is is really bad news for, for Afghans who were uh, hoping uh, for a, a, a more orderly US drawdown from that country. Uh, I think for one, uh, COVID-19 makes America's ability to force a political resolution in Afghanistan much harder. In addition, the US government is going to be uh, strained for resources, is going to uh, face uh, some strong demand from within the country to pull back from regions uh, of the world in South Asia or in the Middle East, where it it really doesn't need to be. Uh, And and President Trump and his government um, is uh, is, is keen on that, is very sympathetic to that idea. Um, Regarding China, I would say, uh, I think COVID has implications, uh, and these are more medium-run implications. Uh, China has to reckon with its partner states. So, so Pakistan is a uh, is a key partner of China already. Uh, China wants Afghanistan to be a future partner, uh, and China has to has to think about the fact that these two be destabilized, um, weakened by by COVID nineteen, uh, and so it has to meet their critical na- needs. Um, through, say, debt write, uh, write-offs or rescheduling um, uh, some of the, the aid that China, the Chinese government has given these two countries. And I think that creates an opening for the U.S. government to sort of step in and improve its relationship uh, with these two countries if it wants to take up that opportunity. Um, but, but it's not clear as of now if the U.S. government is interested in such a play.
0: I understand, so uh, you, you you alluded to this, but I, I wanna press you a little bit more about um, uh, the United States' role in Afghanistan. Um, you're, you're saying COVID is, is complicating um, United States' ability to end the war, but can you say a little bit more about that? Because it's, it's I mean it's been a topic since Obama and, and from before and it's kind of ongoing and um, I'm just really curious how COVID is now gonna affect the policy that we, that seems to be in place before.
1: Sure. So, so President Trump, since his assuming office in, in 2017 has, has been keen on ending uh, America's longest war um, in, in Afghanistan. And um, initially he, uh, he, uh, he pushed for a, uh, uh, for a more militarized approach uh, in, in 2017 until early 2018, but then quickly changed. That and and approved uh, a uh, a political settlement uh, with the main adversary on the ground, which was the Afghan Taliban. And so, in February 2020, the U.S. government finally struck a deal uh, with the Afghan Taliban, uh, which was uh, a fairly complicated peace deal. Uh, it was it had multiple layers. It was supposed to play out over a number of months, and it involved the U.S. government and the Afghan Taliban doing certain things at different points in time um, in order to push the country towards uh, towards a peaceful settlement. Um, And it was difficult as is. There were lots of complications. Ending such wars um, is is never easy, but COVID-19 now really complicates that effort. Uh, For one, it has eroded US's diplomatic leverage over its squabbling of domestic political partners. Um, the U.S. government was trying to create a dynamic intra-Afghan dialogue, a conversation between the Afghan government, the U.S.-backed Afghan government, and the Afghan Taliban. And the U.S.'s partners, domestic uh, partners in Afghanistan were, were opposed to that, were not in favor of that conversation. Um, and, and it appears that their unwillingness uh, towards that conversation is likely to mount. Afghan Taliban are again, reading dwindling interest uh, in the U.S. Uh, to stay on in the fight. And I think they're right. President Trump doesn't seem committed to tying the troop withdrawal agreed as part of the deal with the success of an intra-Afghan dialogue arrangement, uh, which hasn't even started at, the, at this point. Yeah. And, and I believe he probably wants to declare mission accomplished before November 2020, when the election is supposed to happen. Right. And, and I think that tendency of his can really jeopardize the series of steps that need to unfold uh, for, for the risk of, uh, of Afghanistan returning to a civil war, like the 1990s, can be minimized. I, I think that also somewhat increases the risk of international terrorism, including uh, uh, one which can be directed towards the United States.
0: Wow. Okay, so there's a lot to contend with. Um, And I want to just talking about the Taliban. I just want to take the conversation in a a slightly different direction where um, I hope you can Help me think um, uh, through something that bothers me about the representation of South Asia and actually Afghanistan in particular. uh, In that, um, well, we know worldwide that uh, women and and caregivers bear the brunt of the impact of COVID, uh, but we also know that uh, places uh, with women leaders actually uh, have a better record of dealing with COVID 19 in a, a kind of efficacious manner. Um, but women in South Asia and, and especially the countries we're talking about, uh, they tend to be represented along this binary. We either have the poor schoolgirl who needs literacy programs um, or the strong female leader um, who nevertheless derives her power from her husband or father. And um, I know this is a big ask, but could you nuance this a little bit for us?
1: sure so i mean i think I, I end up thinking a lot about how uh, instability in the region uh, violence uh, and conflict at the subnational level affects women and the, the reality is that it affects them badly it, it affects them a lot more than uh, you know than than their male counterparts uh, i mean take afghanistan uh, despite the many failings of the us intervention um, in afghanistan since 2001 uh, I'd say one of the better outcomes has been uh, a silver lining of sorts, the improvement in the status of women in that country. Today, they're more included in both public and private life, in key geographies of the country, even if not all, I think rural Afghanistan um, is is still a very different story. Uh, But the recent U.S. deal with the Taliban um, really threatens those gains. In many Afghan women are correctly worried about their status. Uh, in uh, in a future afghanistan um, which involves the, the the taliban as as potential rulers um, and, and this worry is exacerbated by the fact that the the taliban aren't demonstrating sufficient clarity on how uh, they are likely to address some of these issues and, and concerns moving over to pakistan i'd say uh, in in some of the the, the, the conflict hit uh, regions conflict on places like Pakistan's tribal belt, women have suffered quite a bit. That region has seen so much misery and violence uh, over the last two decades. Um, And and some of that violence has ended up targeting and victimizing women directly. uh, Now activist, icon, Nobel Prize winner, Malala Yousafzai was caught um, uh, in the whirlwind of exactly those kinds of dynamics. Um, and, and while there are some positive trends of social movements uh, of men mobilizing to express their pain due to the conflict that region has seen over the last few years or last many years, I'd say women are still underrepresented and remain structurally unable to articulate their trauma and pain, specifically due to due to the conflict that that region has seen. What would you
0: say? Mm-hmm. Sure. Go ahead.
1: Now, I, I was going to add about India. I think, again, women in, in the region of Kashmir uh, are yeah. under enormous stress, yeah. especially over the last one year uh, due to the clampdown that the Indian government has imposed since August 19, 2019, after stripping that region uh, of its autonomous status. Um, there is a dearth of systematic information uh, uh, from conflict-affected districts of Kashmir of, of the last two decades. But to the extent we have some polling and survey information. It appears that the strain on women due to conflict is is pretty clear cut and, and pretty stark.
0: What um would you say is the current state of play between India and Pakistan? And how, if at all is that affected by COVID-19?
1: So so I think I referenced this earlier as well and I'll I'll just build on that. It's it's very bad. It's very tense. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's May 2020, um, and May, this time of the year is generally the start of the fighting season between the, the conventional militaries of the two countries in the border region of Kashmir. Mm-hmm. Um, and while due to COVID-19, appetite for combat uh, is, is likely to be somewhat strained, uh, but in the coming months, as the situation begins to revert to normalcy, I expect minimal change. Uh, I think both sides are always trying to ramp up the cost on the border for each other's forces. Uh, so both sides will try to use this window of opportunity where they perceive the other side as weakened by the conflict to bloody each other. Uh, so I expect counterintuitively uh, for for some escalation in hostilities in, in the coming months. From the Pakistani perspective, I'd add that this is a particularly critical summer. Um, I, my, my sense is that Pakistani uh, leaders, uh, Pakistani military leadership judges Kashmir at a precipice. Um, uh, and so the question that, that I'm sure Pakistani officials would be asking themselves is that what is their grand strategy here going forward? Um, and they might try to instigate a mass uprising in in Kashmir uh, by signaling to Kashmiri political elite and separatists uh, to form a united front, Uh, or Pakistan might try to revert to its traditional strategy of ramping up costs uh, on the Indian government by infiltrating foreign fighters and arms across the border in large numbers, uh, you know, sponsor uh, large scale violence. But Pakistan remains under intense international and U.S. pressure to not do so, so, so that's likely to be a constraint. Uh, on the other hand, India can uh, can receive this this current moment of tension with Pakistan in one of two ways. Um, you know, under Prime Minister Modi, uh, Indian government has uh, has shown an appetite for more offense with the more proactive or uh, punitive measures uh, against Pakistan. Um, or it can revert to its its traditional stance of being more defensive, which mitigates uh, uh, you know, the blowback uh, or Pakistan's ability uh, to alter the situation in Kashmir. Uh, Indian government is also comfortable with severe repression in the region, um, which, which is likely to add to its, its uh, ongoing set of problems. Uh, I mean, the final consideration there for the Indian government is that um, at least for for Prime Minister Modi and his political party, the BJP, uh, Indian domestic politics uh, incentivizes now uh, offensive action. Uh, you know, large swaths of the Indian electorate appreciate that. So I suspect that the aftermath of uh, COVID nineteen uh, will also lead to a, a, a reckoning with the the political question here. Uh, you know, does the Indian uh, electorate still want uh, um, dense relations or more offensive action or more punitive measures towards Pakistan, uh, which will um, um, greatly inform how the Indian government deals with, with the situation going forward.
0: Thank you. That's uh, very comprehensive. I, I feel there's so much more I'd like to ask you, but I'm mindful of time, um, our listeners' time. Um I'd like to end with something positive, uh, but that's not going to happen, I don't think, because my final question for you uh, is what some of the major issues and concerns in uh, the international relations of South Asia are that keep you up at night. Assuming they are, there are some.
1: Sure. So, so I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I don't work on uh, uh, on on happy topics. Are, I'm 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 a bearer of bad news, um, and. Uh, you know, I'm very cognizant of of that reality of my of my research agenda. So, so I certainly have some uh, some 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 bad thoughts at <laughs> at night, which, uh, which let's
0: hear me... them. Let's just do this. We will not shoot the messenger.
1: Sure. So, 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 so there are four key issues right now. I think the first one, um, and uh, is and and this is something that's become more apparent in the in the U.S. news media over the last year, uh, is is India's relationship with its Muslim population in the region of Kashmir, more certainly, but also beyond, you know, in 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 the rest of the country, and it appears to be teetering on the brink of something something really really terrible, uh, and and I'm extremely worried about the cascade of pernicious effects, um, but, you know, due to this this sort of collapsing relationship between the Indian government and the Muslim population. Both for mm-hmm. India as a country as well as for the broader region.
0: Right. And that of course has been exacerbated by the way that COVID has been portrayed there. But oh,
1: most certainly, most certainly, I think the Muslim population has been, has been demonized uh, in, in very damaging ways. Uh, and we will unfortunately, I fear that we will see the effects of that as well going forward. The, a second major issue of concern for me is, is terrorism, uh, violence targeting civilians. Um, and this could take place. The one that I'm most concerned about is one which can take place in India. Now, this violence, given what we know about South Asia's history, uh, the, the last uh, three decades and more, can be sponsored by by Pakistan. Uh, but Pakistan's not the only actor which is interested in terrorism um, in uh, in South Asia. Another important actor is al Qaeda, um, and and a third relatively recent entrant is ISIS. Um, and and, the, and the, the terrorism by any of these actors can be strategically directed, which can lead to an escalation of hostilities, uh, even you know, push, push India and Pakistan towards the brink of war, once again, as we saw back in February 2019. A third issue I tend to be concerned about uh, is the political health of Pakistan. You know Pakistan is is not a normal democracy. Uh, it's at best um, a, a hybrid regime uh, and the military wields enormous power in the country uh, and it has a complicated relationship with, uh, with the political parties, both uh, in government and in you know, and and I uh, and I worry if, if for how long this delicate balance can be managed. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I think the military is enormously powerful and 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 is is capable of uh, of running things on its terms. But who knows? Things can always snap. Um, the final uh, major issue, live issue of concern going forward is, of course, Afghanistan and what the U.S. withdrawal means for that country and in turn for say Pakistan and India. I think uh, given COVID-19, especially in in President Trump's proclivities, Afghanistan is a country he he ends up thinking uh, and and saying a lot about on a frequent basis. Uh, I think uh, a disorderly U.S. drawdown from that country can invite a return uh, of a civil war type situation. Um, and and that can that can be really terrible for Afghanistan as a country as well as for the region and and and, uh, and, and beyond the region. So so these are the four four issues that keep me up at night. Again, I'm sorry to your for your audiences to <laughs> you think any uh, tidings. So. Well, uh,
0: that is, however, the reality. I'm. I think it's so helpful, um, especially with. I mean, there's so much news out there, and yet it's it's it can be very hard to kind of discern uh, what to go with. And so, it's just very helpful to have um, a scholar of the region and somebody who's. Uh, very generously dedicated their life to studying this not uh, uh, not uh, always optimistic these always optimistic topics uh, to have uh, to have them on the podcast with us and to um, to kind of. Uh, start to unpack some of the issues. Um, I'm going to, I have a million more questions, but I am going to wrap it up now. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. I have been Lalita Duparan, Associate Director of the Center for South Asia at Stanford University, and I was joined today virtually, I hasten to add, uh, and if there was some internet instability, I apologize for that. We're just doing the best we can with um, the tools we have. I was joined today by Dr. Aswanya Mir, who is currently a postdoctoral fellow um, also at Stanford University. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Lalita. And uh, it, was, it was great to discuss some of these issues. And, uh, and I look forward to, to following the podcast and, and to future episodes.
0: Thank you so much.